Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Welcome to NBA Today with Malika Andrews, live from Los Angeles. Coming up on NBA Today, so if the clock wasn't ticking before, it sure is now because Media Day is one week away. Mark Spears has the latest reporting on where Damian Lillard could land before the start of the season. And the semifinals for the WNBA playoffs, they are underway. How much pressure is the Liberty under after dropping game one? Plus, on this day, 22 years ago, Michael Jordan, he unretired for not the first time, but the second time. We have some must-see moments from his time with the Wizards. NBA Today starts right now. Welcome to NBA Today. He is the one and only Ohm Young Masuk. I'm Malika Andrews, and we are one week away, Ohm, from players reporting to training camp to meet with reporters. We have talked about that as being the next real pressing deadline here for a Damian Lillard development. So we're almost there. So with that, let's check in with our Mark Spears for the very latest. Mark, what are you hearing on the Damian Lillard trade front? Well, everybody's waiting about Miami Heat and South Beach, and it's just everything I'm hearing is really, really quiet there, right? And Blazers are continuing to talk to other teams where I've heard the likes of Chicago and Milwaukee and, and even Philadelphia, and even though Chicago thing's kind of waning a little bit. But the, the hottest name that I'm hearing right now is of, of interest is the Toronto Raptors, actually. Um, talked to two really high-ranking team executives today, and they said that Toronto's the front runner, and they wouldn't expect, uh, wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in the six. Uh, you know, right now though, there is no trade imminent. Yep. There, there's nothing hot, but I do know that the Toronto is our interested suitor. Uh, they've had, they've had several conversations with the Blazers, and you know, Masai Ujiri, his history, he's not afraid of doing such deals. I mean, the expectation is that Dame wants to be in Miami and. You know, could he go somewhere else? But if he does go to Toronto, I mean, Masai did this in 2018 with Kawhi Leonard. Yes. Getting him from the San Antonio Spurs, uh, convincing him ultimately that this would be a good place for that season. And the Raptors won their lone championship. And Kawhi moved on to the Clippers. But with Dame, you got a guy that's got three years left on his deal. He's known to be a professional. I know he would show up. I know he would play. Would he like being in Toronto? think you're going to have to get Drake to get in his ear a little bit, being sure. an ambassador that he is. Toronto's a great city. Um, Masai would surely be uh, rolling the dice here if he could get this to happen. Yep. But right now, it's really, really quiet, and people are talking the most about uh, Toronto sneaking in there. This is very interesting, Mark, because while you're saying there is no trade imminent, we know we're a week away from training camp starting, and that is a real deadline for Damian Lillard yeah. and the Portland Trailblazers here. Don't go too far. I do want to crunch the numbers on this Toronto Raptors uh, discussion for Damian Lillard here as we say hello to our front office insider, Bobby Marks. Bobby, this is a little bit tricky because offering a package that the Blazers want, but also leaving the Raptors with pieces to contend is a real balancing act. So please explain, how would this work? Well, when you look at Damian Lillard, who earns $45 million a season, Toronto has to come within 125% of that number. So you're looking roughly around $36, $37 million. 
And when you start building the contracts, it certainly starts with a player like OG Ananobi. And then we can go certainly with a player like Chris Boucher, Otto Porter Jr. and Grady Dick. That gets you there, Malika. And we haven't even talked about the draft asset co component when you're looking at it, Toronto. Remember, they owe a 2024 protected top six pick to San Antonio. So there is restrictions as far as what they can trade, but I have a glass half empty feeling on, on this deal here because there is so much risk involved. You look at it from Portland's perspective, Ananobi's going into the last year of his contract. The cost to retain him is significant. And certainly from Toronto's perspective, how much better does Damian Lillard get you compared to where you are right yep. now compared to how much you have to give up? Right, because when we're talking about the Kawhi Leonard trade, that's all in on a team that very much looked like a championship roster. I'm looking at this now, the trade machine that we just fired up. Maybe it is, but certainly there's a lot more competition. Um, this isn't necessarily an either or, right? It's not necessarily Miami or Toronto, but for the sake of discussion here, where, where is the better fit? I still think the better fit for him is Miami. Okay. Just because seeing Miami get to the finals, seeing how they lost to Denver, how they needed one other guy to provide that scoring punch, the sure fire points that they needed, Damian Little would be a good fit. Now, with potentially Giannis hanging out there in his future for next summer. Sure. What is Miami thinking now? You know what I mean? Because Miami's a team that, yes, could they use Damian Lillard? Absolutely. But they are also a culture that can get by and max out on the guys they have now. Obviously, they made the finals with this current group. So do they wait for Giannis? I find this very interesting, Malika. This morning, I got an email from mm. Bet Online. Vegas tends to know these type of things. <laughs> Remember, when Kawhi Leonard's future was up in the air, Toronto emerged out of nowhere in Vegas right this morning I saw Damian Lillard next team at Portland or Miami is not involved Boston Celtics two to one Boston Celtics that would be a great fit for Boston obviously they lost Marcus Smart yeah. they would get a point guard in there who can score Ooh, that'd be interesting mm, Mark well, I also hear that uh, Portland Trailblazers fancy Grady Dick, uh, great shooter, young. And someone might say, well, what about Tyler Hero? He's, he's a young shooter as well, but certainly the money is, is greatly different in both cases. And uh, I, I believe Grady's a little bit taller as well. So uh, keep an eye on that. He, he's somebody that uh, they would definitely want. I, I don't think such a deal gets made unless Grady Dick is involved. But mm. again, no trade is imminent. There's just been conversation, and that perhaps shows you where things are in the Lillard sweepstakes right now is that there really isn't much going on where Toronto looks like the hottest team just because everything else is so quiet. Grady Dick, TikTok star, friend of the show. But the thing about this is, with, with training <laughs> camp a week away, Mark, things can change just on a dime in terms of the trade market for Damian Lillard. So let's just yeah. uh, back up the bus just a little bit because you mentioned Boston. Bobby, can you make that work for us? Well, remember, Jalen Brown can't be traded because of he signed that super max. We're certainly not involving uh, Jason Tatum from a draft equity standpoint. They have all their first round picks. San Antonio controls a future pick here. Now we're looking at adding those same numbers, getting the $37 million. Would it be a player like Derek White, who's penciled in to start this year, Malcolm right. Brogdon? I don't see how that fits in Portland, especially for a young team, third youngest in the NBA. Robert Williams, as far as from a center position here, I, I see it hard for uh, from Boston's perspective adding those numbers up there, just because there's not a there's not a blue chip prospect that would be involved in that deal. 
Boston certainly a team that's going to be ju- judged in the playoffs, not in what they do in the regular season, if they can get over this hump. Bobby Marks, thank you so much for taking the time to break this all down, explain it to us as we see the numbers populating there on the screen. Mark Spears, please do not go too far because Damian Lillard is one of many questions that we have with training camp one week away. Still to come on NBA Today, James Harden's future is another one in Philadelphia. Then, of course, the expectations for the Jays in Boston. Steph Legacy in Golden State. Those are some of the looming questions around the league. What our panel is looking to see answered with Media Day just seven days away. And the start of the WNBA semifinals last night, it did not disappoint. Are the Aces the clear-cut favorites after the Liberty took a game one loss? Ryan Rucco is here to discuss. Also, Kobe Bryant's fifth title. How did it lead to the Heatles era in Miami? What? All right, Dwayne Wade, he explains. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. You're watching NBA Today. I'm told that James Harden is seriously considering a return to Houston. I'm here. We're, we're playing very, very well, and yeah, I don't know where the report came from. Can Philadelphia win without Embiid? Sizing up over. It's a three. What a perfect play to end the second round. Game seven between the Celtics and the Sixers. This is disappointing. A disappointing ending for the Sixers. Our season is over, so sums it up right there. He has the option to be a free agent. Scenario A would be to bring James back. The Houston Rockets lose a, a real suitor in free agency. Joe Morris is a liar, and I would never This has been escalating behind the scenes all year. Now it is playing out in public. time we heard from James Harden, it was when he called Daryl Morey a liar. And we're scheduled to hear from him again one week from today on NBA Media Day as we say hello to our Eastern Conference-based reporter, Tim Bontemps. Tim, if, and that is still a little bit of an if, we actually see James Harden at the Sixers facility on October 2nd, what is the one question that you were most looking forward to hearing him answer? Well, Malika, as you laid out in that intro, this has been going on now, the questions about James Harden's future for the better part of a year. Right, We're going all the way back to late in 2022 where we've been having these questions about where is James Harden going to be. So the question I want to ask James Harden a week from now at Media Day, as you said, assuming he arrives in Camden, New Jersey, is how does he expect this to play out? What is his vision for what the 23-24 season is going to be? 
We don't know if he's going to show up to camp. We don't know what kind of mood he's going to be when he gets there. But as you said, the last time we heard from James Harden, he made it very clear. He called Daryl Morey a liar, said he didn't want to be associated with an organization that employs Daryl Morey going forward. And as of today, one week before media day, he's still a member of the Sixers. Daryl Morey is still running basketball operations for the Sixers. Mm -hmm. And it's not clear that there's going to be any change in either of those situations anytime soon. So if James does show up, that's what I want to hear. What does he envision this looking like? Is he going to be able to see himself being part of this franchise for this upcoming season? And is he going to be fully committed to trying to get this team to the championship aspirations that they hope to achieve? Because, by the way, if he is committed, Malika, with Nick Nurse, with the group of talent around him, including Joel Embiid, this team could win the East. This team could win the title. They were very close to that last year, and that's sort of been forgotten amid all of the insanity that surrounded this James Harden situation over the past few months. Absolutely, and another added layer to all of this is that from all of our understanding, James Harden is great with his 76ers teammates. It's really Daryl Morey where the issue resides. So how is that conflict going to come to a head and ultimately be resolved one way or another? Tim Bontemps, thank you so very much. We'll be checking in with you from Media Day one week from today. And again, the majority of the league is going to be holding their Media Day on October 2nd too. Another team that will be doing so, the Clippers. And you know that Om Young Masuki will be at the Clippers facility asking all of the important questions. What is number one, Ohm, on your list for LA? I would ask Kawhi and PG, does this feel like this is going to be their last run at a championship? Look, they still have another year left on their contract with an option, but it certainly feels like a contract year for not just Paul and Kawhi because they haven't gotten their extensions yet, but the whole team. Ty Lue didn't get a new contract like he wanted a new contract. I think Steve Ballmer's looking at the almost like this is a time to prove it this year. This is year yep. five of the Kawhi PG era. I walked with Steve Ballmer at the new arena last summer, and I asked him, this is going to be year four. Is it time for them to kind of get it going? And he looked at me, and he, got, he went like this. He gave me that notion. Yep. Yes, it is time for them, absolutely. It feels like a contract year for them. We are going to wonder if they're going to get their extensions and how much will it be and for how long. Also, there's a lot of attention on them after that new participation policy thing. If you looked online, every time that story was shared, who was it accompanied by a picture of? Kawhi and PG. There's a lot for these guys to prove this season, and that's what I would ask them about. Do you feel the pressure that this is the year for you guys to do it? Well, particularly, this is damning, Ohm. When you look at this, this was not the expectation of this team when it was put together. So, can 23-24 potentially start to write a new story? You will be chronicling it all. Ohm, thank you very much, my friend. All right, we're going to actually start to hear from head coaches, executives this week. The Warriors, their new GM, Mike Dunleavy Jr., head coach Steve Kerr, they are both scheduled to speak today as we check in once again with the Bay Area, Mr. Mark Spears. Mark, what is the one most pressing question that you were looking at for Golden State? Well, they could ask it to Steve Kerr today because he's going to be available in about two hours. But I I would ask Steve, what's the plan for Chris Paul? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a big topic in the Bay Area, whether Chris Paul is going to start or not. I was hearing when Chris got you know, traded to the Warriors in July that the plan was to start him, was for him to play five-minute spurts, um, but obviously that makes the team really, really small. Chris Paul's never come off the bench in his entire life. If he did, it was probably in youth ball somewhere. I don't know. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if the Warriors would do that now. But another thing is the Warriors have an extra roster spot. Yep. Uh, what will they do with it? I talked to our own 
uh, Kendra Andrews, the Warriors guru, and she says that they plan on bringing a vet who is uh, going to be happy with being a 15 person and being a good person in the locker room. I had two NBA veteran free agents hit me up in the last week, like, what's up with the last spot? What are the Warriors going to do? And it wasn't Dwight Howard, so it doesn't look like it's going to be Dwight Howard, but the Warriors are still trying to figure out if they're going to uh, use that 15th spot on a player going into the team next week. And Dunleavy's about to answer those questions in about an hour as well. Oop, I am setting my watch right now. The clock is ticking particularly, <laughs> right? If Golden State wants to make good on what Draymond Green told our own young Masuk, which is why not win multiple more championships within this window with their core still together. Mark Spears, thank you so much. One of the biggest questions, though, right, is, is still Damian Lillard. So how could a Dame deal actually work? Who else could be involved? Our insiders, they are here with the very latest on the seven-time All-Star and his future destinations. And how the Aces showed out in Las Vegas last night in Game 1 of the semifinals. Are they the clear-cut favorite with the Liberty losing their Game 1 matchup? Plus, 22 years ago, do you know what happened, Michael Jordan? He came back for the second time. We have a very special Top of the Top MJ and DC edition. NBA Today will be right back. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to NBA Today. This is SportsCenter. 2,383 days after the last time he announced he was coming back, March 18th, 1995, Michael Jeffrey Jordan comes back again. Back then, it was a two-word press release. I'm back, this time 11 words. I am returning as a player to the game I love. You know what? It's a great day. It is a great day when Stuart Scott makes the show. But, guys, I, I, I can't believe it. It was 22 years ago since Michael Jordan came out of retirement for the second time. Um, and what do you have on your feet just for uh, – usually have, we don't like people to put their feet on the desk. But just I like, have the Jordans, Wizards Jordans 3s. Ah, so, the Wizards the Jordans 3. For the occasion. The one that Michael wore for the occasion. Hello. Uh, our producers went through a big dig. They found the best plays in a Wizards jersey. So we're going to start with the top block with a very special top of the top here, MJ Returns edition. So this is where we're going to get going. Um, I know you've been excited for this all day. Oh, man, look at this. Oh, Michael he grabbed it with two hands. That oh. he can still get up and he play He grabbed defense. it with two hands before it hit the backboard? Uh, Malika, don't sleep on 38-year-old Michael Jordan, okay? Hey, you know what? 
38 is great. Look at, look at a young Ty Lue. <laughs> young Ty Lue there. We love a young Ty Lue moment. And then we got another little top oh, ankle no. breaker here. Oh, no. No, no, no. Look at that. Michael looks so fresh. Look, as a DC kid for me, who grew up watching the Bullets, it was amazing to see Michael Jordan in a Wizards uniform. Mark, is it more demoralizing when it happens and it's against a 38-year-old, or is it fine because it's it's Mike? Ooh, nice little finish there, some finesse. Man, he could be 50. It's, it, <laughs> it's Michael Jordan. Uh, and, and you don't want me to put my feet up right now because you might just see something ashy. You know, uh <laughs> when you're at home, you don't wear no shoes. We, we won't ask you to, but we will ask you to take a look at this top game winner. Oh, and look at the fist pump, Malika. The classic, classic. vintage fist pump. Yep. This Gotta is the take thing. That, Tongue out too. This is the thing that you talk about, Spears. These young kids all wanted to show up, Michael too. Yeah. And and they got a dose of the of the airness. Yeah. He said, "Children, your time's coming, but Lord, I'm still going right now." Uh, I was at this game. Look at the young RJ getting schooled by the greatest of all time. <laughs> Look, RJ had hair, Malika. That's how long ago it was. Dropped <laughs> oh, 45. <laughs> On Richard, well, it wasn't just on Richard, but I'm going to say on Richard in this game. You can say it was on Richard. This is my favorite clip of the day. Uh, Mark, I mean, we're talking about two decades later. What's your lasting impression from Jordan in Washington? Because I feel like that part kind of gets, the, the greatness gets pushed aside a little bit because of everything he did in Chicago. You know, I'm, I'm glad to see those replays, man. It's like the Wizard Jordan stuff is like lost tapes in a vault with Raiders <laughs> yeah. of the Lost Ark thing. You know, like you just never see this stuff. But my, my best memories with him were in Atlanta during the 2003 NBA All-Star Game. I thought it was absolutely mm. uh, amazing event to be at. And even with all the venom between Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas actually played a role in convincing uh, Vince Carter to give up his starting position for Michael Jordan. The fans actually didn't vote Michael Jordan in as a starter, but Vince Sanity, as you guys know, was was crazy at that time. Yep. So Jordan comes in, has this amazing game. Mariah Carey sings at halftime wearing a Wizards dress, and I'm sure could fetch a lot of money on <laughs> eBay. It was half Wizards, and, uh, half Bulls, if Kobe you remember. Bryant right down the middle, Spearsy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, Kobe played tough defense on him at the end of the game, but the West won in overtime, and Kevin Garnett got MVP, but that was of all the All-Star games I covered. That certainly one of the ones that was at the top of the list, just because it was you, a, yeah. it was a, it was the Jordan show. Yep, it was the Jordan show every single time he stepped on the court. This is neither here nor there, but that Mariah Carey dress, I don't know why this brought this up for me. Uh, it actually inspired how Kendra and I, my little sister, used to dress for games because there was a time where we were split between the Spurs and the Warriors, and we used to go right down the middle with our Warriors-Spurs attire. But let's get back on track here with Michael so Jordan. y'all had the dresses? Y'all had a Warriors dress and you know a Spurs what? dress? We wanted to just kind of be like Mariah and go the little half-half of the Warriors and the Spurs. <laughs> it's fine. Steve Kerr would love that. We, we don't need it's fine. We made some iffy fashion choices. My father was There's a huge a fan somewhere. of it. There's and we're going somewhere. to burn it. <laughs> Ohm, you are yeah. in on all things Michael Jordan. What do you remember most from the Wizards era? I mean, I was there at the press conference when he announced, when he when he came back. It was incredible in Washington, D.C. to see that, that, that he was going to be a wizard. But I will never forget the night of New Year's Eve where I was there covering the New Jersey Nets and, and old Michael Jordan absolutely turned the clock back and lit up the Nets. Jason Kidd, 
Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin. Yep. Michael would say after the game, Kenyon Martin made a mistake by telling him that he had a bad back. In classic Michael Jordan form, he used that as motivation to torch them. He scored 45 points. Jason Kidd, I asked him a couple years ago, what were his, some of the greatest individual performances he's ever seen? He mentioned this one and Reggie Miller against the Knicks, but he said this one, he said it was like a 45-year-old Michael Jordan, really he was 38, okay? It was a 45-year-old Michael Jordan dropping 45 on us. He was talking trash to us. He was mid-ranging us to death and jelly-rolling us to death, and it was incredible to watch. And, of course, I loved watching RJ getting torched by Michael Jordan. That was great. I do have one more story. During the pandemic, when uh, Jordan came out with the 30 for 30, uh, I had an assignment to do, how do young players today know who Michael Jordan is? And oh, no. I talked to Rick Brunson. And Rick Brunson told me this story about Jalen Brunson, and Jalen confirmed it, that when Jalen used to go watch his dad play, he would always wear a jersey of that team. Rick Brunson played on a lot of teams, Malika, but at this time he was playing with the Wizards, so he bought a Michael Jordan jersey, a number 23 brand-new white jersey. Rick Brunson took him in the locker room, introduced him to Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Ewing said, hey, do you want Michael Jordan to sign that auto, to, to autograph that jersey? Yeah. Michael comes over and says, do you want me to autograph the jersey? Jalen Brunson doesn't know who Michael Jordan is no. and said, no, you'll ruin the jersey. No! Jalen Brunson, okay? So obviously to this day, he still regrets that, but yes, he did turn down the goat and said, I don't want you to ruin this jersey. He said, I don't want you to ruin it. Wow. How much crap does he still take for that now? Wow. That is absolutely incredible. So Michael Jordan played in all 82 games, Ohm, in his final season. I, I don't he was banged do, up. And I don't want to do the, like, you know, LeBron's also 38. Michael Jordan was 38 at that point. Michael took some time out. Da, da, da. Both the new sort of player resting policy, all of this sort of coming into focus here, I, I think it's a, a completely different era, right, when you're talking about the wear and tear on your body. But it still feels like there's a piece where that fits into the discussion, Ohm. Yeah, look, it was a badge of honor back then that you played 82 games. You didn't want to sit games. Michael also knew that every single time he went out, much like LeBron understands this too, the entire arena was looking to watch him. Yeah. There were people that paid tickets to see him, especially on this comeback. This was their last chance to see Michael Jordan, and he played through a lot of pain, a lot of aches. I think Ty Lue will tell, I think he said it recently on a podcast that Michael always seemed to be hurt, but the amount of pain he played through was incredible. But he did it every night, and then there were nights where they were special. Look, I think a lot of people look back at the time and they think, oh, Michael was horrible with the Wizards. He should have never came back. I loved every minute of it because we got to see the greatest of all time continue his career a little bit longer. It was almost like a gift that he gave us because when he retired, nobody was ready for him to retire. Nobody right. wanted to see him retire. So to see him play again was awesome. See him play again and to see him say again, Mark, look, I still have a little bit left in the tank here. Yeah, you know, and the sad thing was, uh, and I hate to, you know, be a grim reaper on this, but I, the way the Wizards pushed him out, and I still remember it, I think the picture in the Washington Post where he was like in his convertible with stuff from his office. It's, uh, oh, I'm challenging you. I asked Wilbon to do that. Somebody's got to write a book <laughs> about those years with Jordan with the Wizards, man. I mean, to me, that's an additional 30 for 30. That, mm. that was, it was just incredible kind of at the beginning of my career being around him. I, I was just too late in the game to build any kind of relationship with him. But just to at least be in the scrum, and that's Michael Jordan. It's, 
it's certainly something I'll never, never, ever forget. Yeah, absolutely. It, got, it definitely got ugly at the end there with A. Poland, and you didn't want to see that. And I, you know, because remember he he had moved. Up, he was in management as well, kind yep. of making moves. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely a bad part to the ending there. Yeah, but obviously we've seen a new chapter with the the Charlotte Hornets, a chapter that is now closed. That was my experience covering Michael was was in more of an executive role, and I can say the most I have ever sweat asking a question was to Michael Jordan in Paris for the Hornets-Bucks game a couple of years ago. I have never been more nervous. All right, now that we've learned about my dressing like Mariah Carey, Kendra just texted me, stop airing our dirty laundry. I think that means we need to go to break. Still to come on NBA Today, how the Connecticut Sun took down the Liberty in game one of the semifinals. I was not expecting this. Full analysis coming up right after the break. We need Kendra to send a picture of that. No pictures, Kendra. <laughs> You're watching NBA Today. Brooklyn has been the place to be so far this fall. Sabrina will fire him. Hit from three. Nascu gets blitzed. Bonner takes it away. Bonner plays it in through the contact from Stewart. But we have not seen that movement fluid Liberty offense. Rebecca Allen, have a day. What a tough shot, too. But she is working hard, making an impact. We couldn't play any worse, and, and they played you know, quite well, and they executed, uh, defended us well. So we've just got to make sure that we find ways to, to get our offense going again. Let's check in on Sunday's WNBA playoff action. This is the semifinals, the Sun versus the Liberty game one. The Sun were 0-4 versus the Liberty in the regular season. The Liberty six and a half game point favorites going into the game. We're going to pick this one up in the third quarter. At half, the Sun trailed by three, but then they began the third on an incredible 16-2 run. They put their foot on the gas and they did not let up. And then skipping ahead here to the end of the third quarter. At this point, the Sun are up eight. Duana Bonner. Pulls up, hits the midi, as Chenea Gumake would say, at the buzzer. The Sun up 10 after three, going ahead to the fourth quarter here. The Sun's up 13 at this point. Bonner again goes and hits that mid-range jumper. She is fired up afterward. Bonner, game-high 20 points. And then once again, Stewie with the steal. Nope, think again. Natisha Heideman gets the block on Brianna Stewart. Take just another look here. The Sun win this 78 to 63. I mean, that's just incredible. Heidman is five foot eight. Stewart is six foot four. Here is Liberty head coach Sandy Brundello after the game. We came out really slow in the first quarter and then the third quarter. And it's been happening in the last few games. And I think it's mindset and frustration sets in. We don't execute and we know we're better than that. And now backs against the wall, we have to come and respond in the right way. We'll be better next game. I, 100% sure of that. That was their worst game of the season, but we've got great players and we'll have to respond in the right way. It's a great challenge for us. The great Ryan Rucco was on the call for that game and is kind enough to join us now. That was a stunning victory for the Sun, taking the series lead 1-0. What did you see that separated the Sun last night, Ryan? Malika, Connecticut's tough. They're just, they're a tough team. They've been here before. You look up and down their roster, you know, this is the fifth time that the Sun have been to the semifinals in the last five years. They've been to two finals over that period of time. Could make it a third, obviously, if they win this series. 
they take on the mentality of their leader, Alyssa Thomas, who is gritty, who plays with a chip on her shoulder, who feeds off of disrespect. And this Connecticut team has not been mentioned when it comes to championship hopes this season, the way that New York has, certainly the way that Vegas has. So once again, they have that theme of disrespect that they can play on. And we saw physicality and toughness from them as a group, but we also saw something they need and that's contributions from players outside of Bonner and Thomas. When they get that kind of performance from Rebecca Allen, from Natisha Heideman, mm. from Tiffany Hayes, Connecticut's tough to beat. And for New York, you know, a team that has incredible talent, and I agree with Sandy Brondello's assessment, played their worst game of the season. We have not yet seen their rhythmic fluidity offensively. That was their calling card during the regular season. They were able to come up with some gutty wins against Washington to advance. They're going to have to do something similar against Connecticut. And the interesting thing is, you know, you get to this time of year yeah. and you can fracture or you can come together after a game like that. Mm. This New York team has not been through this time of year as a group. Yeah, Brianna Stewart did it in Seattle. Courtney Vandersloot did it in Chicago, right? John Paul Jones did it in Connecticut, but they haven't done it as a unit. Does this team trust each other in the biggest moments or do they try and do everything themselves? Because I thought yesterday there were times where we saw New York look a little frazzled, try and do things themselves. And I'm really curious to see whether or not they look harmonious on the floor in game two after what Connecticut was able to do to them in game one. Certainly there feels like there was a sprinkling of that disrespect and we know that that can be all it takes to light a fire. A team that we have talked about all season long and has that chemistry that you mentioned is the Las Vegas Aces. So let's check in on them now, how their game against the Wings went. Because Asia Wilson, I mean, she was going for it. This is the Aces hosting the Wings, remember, in game one. Before the game, this is Asia Wilson being awarded the Defensive Player of the Year Award. Alicia Clark received her sixth Player of the Year Award. Award. We're picking this one up in the first with the Aces leading by three. Jackie Young brings it up the court and hits a three-pointer. Now the Aces up by six. And then this is later in the first. Aces up four. Wilson says, you know what? I can do it myself and sinks the mid-range jumper. Wilson and Young had 18 of the Aces' 21st quarter points. So ahead to the second quarter, Kelsey Plum doing what she does. She's just starting to heat up here. She scored 12 points in the second quarter, scored seven straight points for the Aces. The Aces up by four at halftime. And then midway through the third here, the ace is still up. Wilson, again, drives, lays it up and in off the glass, plus the foul and one. Wilson fired up, hit the free throw, aces by 10, and they just kept it rolling. Nice little pass there from Chelsea Gray. Aces up 12 at this point. Jackie Young, come on now, you know that she gets hot from three. She had 19 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists. The Aces up by 17. At this point, this is just icing on the cake as the Aces cruise to a victory at 97 to 83. So I mentioned that Asa Wilson was going hard in the paint against the Wings. I meant that literally. She finished with 26 paint points. She is the first player in WNBA history with multiple games of 25 points in the paint and has four of the seven highest paint scoring games in league history, which is just insane. Now, Wilson and Stewart, they have been sort of the one-two Ryan all season long as we've talked about MVP. And tomorrow we're going to find out for sure just how close do you see this year's race and who has the edge? You know, I think it's ridiculously close. And I think you can throw Alyssa Thomas in there yep. as well. And I think we're going to get our, our closest three-person MVP race that we've had since 2013 when it was incredibly close between Candace Parker, Maya Moore, and Elena Deladon. And you can make a cogent argument for any of these candidates. If you want to go strictly by the word valuable, 
Alicia Thomas not only did things that we had never seen before in league history, but she means as much to wins and losses for Connecticut as any player does to their team. She is the engine that drives their winning. When you talk about Brianna Stewart, you know, not only what she did and brought to New York, but also look at the way Seattle cratered without her. Yes, there, there were other players, namely Sue Bird, who was no longer in Seattle, and that played a role in all the losing they did this year. But certainly you saw one franchise go in the tank and the other one lifted the heights it's never been to before. Brianna Stewart led the league in win shares, right? If you want to look at some of the advanced analytics and where Stewie might shine, led the league in offensive rating as well. And then you look at Asia Wilson, who, let's be clear, is having the best postseason thus far of any player through these first few games. Of course, that does not go into the voting, but Asia just keeps getting better. Even though she was the MVP each of the last two seasons, I think you can easily say 2023 was the best season she's had yet. Now, sometimes we see voter fatigue. Sometimes we also see people wanting to even the scales, right? Brianna Stewart maybe could have won that 2020 or that 2022 MVP. Didn't. Maybe she wins it this year, and you have two MVPs apiece for Stewie and Asia, who have been the clear-cut 1A, 1B over the last few years in the league. But Asia Wilson not only does it on the offensive end, she's the defensive player of the year as well. And right now, clearly playing like the best player in the world with what we've seen thus far in these playoffs. So... You know, this isn't a cop-out, Malika. This is just my way of saying Uh that uh, you really can make a coherent argument for all three of these candidates, and they are all deserving. So I'm very curious to not only see who wins tomorrow, but how close the voting is. Absolutely. Tomorrow we will find out. Ryan Rico, thank you for making a little bit of time for us here on NBA Today. You can hear Ryan again tomorrow night. This man never sleeps on ESPN and the app because we're going to have game two of the doubleheader in the best of the five WNBA playoff semifinals. The Suns, Liberty at 8 Eastern. And then it's the Wings and the Aces. WNBA countdown gets it all started at 7.30. Still to come on NBA Today, could Damian Lillard be on his way to Toronto? Well, maybe we map out the possibility of it happening. NBA Today will be right back. Welcome back to NBA Today. Welcome back to NBA Today. So at the top of our show today, Mark Spears, you mentioned that the Raptors, they could be going all in to attempt to acquire Damian Lillard here from the Trailblazers as talks sort of stall and have fizzled out with the Miami Heat. So can you just explain the, the nuts and bolts of this? How would this deal actually work? Well, as I said earlier, two GM said that uh, their prediction today is that Damian Lillard ends up with the Toronto Raptors. There really isn't anything imminent at this point, but there has been a lot of conversations, and, and the Raptors are seriously interested. So I, I do know that uh, the expectation is probably that OG Ananubi would be included in such a deal. But I think the guy that the Blazers actually favor the most is the rookie Grady Dick. The thing that's also confusing is, will Damon Lillard be happy about going there? Obviously, all the talk is that he wants to go to Miami, but Masai Ujiri is not one that's shy of making, you know, trying to uh, take a chance. He did that Kawhi Leonard and won a championship, and I think he's not scared. And he has the power to do it in Toronto to try to get Dame there. Uh, you know, you, you got uh, Toronto as a pretty cool city, and you got Drake in his here. He's a fellow Raptor. I think they think that with the talent that they have, that Dame could end up liking it in Toronto. But they're a long ways from getting that completed. Just keep an eye on it and 
I also hear that it's from those same GMs that they don't expect Dame to end up being in Portland on media day on Monday. They think he'll be gone. You're saying that you're hearing that GMs do not expect in seven days. We're not talking about media day sometime in the nebulous future. In seven days, Damien Lillard is not necessarily yeah. expected to still be in Portland. Uh, so I look at you here, uh, Tim, because we, yeah. we talked earlier, it's not necessarily an either or. It's not Toronto or Miami. It's not Portland or Boston. It, it's not necessarily that. But if you had to choose a fit for Damian Lillard as you look around the league, where do you see that? I mean, Malika, the only place that's really made sense from both a return going to Portland and for where Dame could wind up from the beginning, to me, has always been Miami. Because if you're going to trade the kind of assets it's going to take to get Damian Lillard, you have to be good enough to be competing for a championship now. Because you're talking about trading for a guy who's entering his age 33 season, who's owed a couple hundred million dollars over the next four years. That's not a trade you make if you're just trying to become a decent team. And let's say Toronto does end up trading for Dame, as, as Mark laid out before. They don't have a path to be a contending team with the Damian Lillard trade, mm-hmm. with what they have. Because with the way their roster set up, as Mark said, they'd have to trade OG Ananobi. They'd have to trade a guy like Gary Trent, potentially. They'd have to trade maybe Grady Dick, who they just drafted. They'd have to give up so much stuff off their roster that they'd maybe be fighting to be in the top six in the East with Dame on their team after trading picks and players off their roster. That just doesn't, to me, make a lot of sense from a fit standpoint for Toronto. Whereas if he goes to Miami, he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's going to be the guy they go to to score down the stretch of games. He fits in with Jimmy and Bam, and that team has a chance to contend. So we'll see if a deal gets done with Miami eventually, but I think part of the reason we're still waiting for a Dame trade to happen two and a half months later now is because there hasn't been another team that's materialized that really makes sense to go all in and get him. Maybe Toronto does, I just don't think it materially changes their future, and they'd have to give up a ton of assets to go get a guy like Dame on their team. What I'm real curious about is this, there's going to be a third team involved here because that really could change a lot of the landscape, and that could be the first domino that falls before we see what happens with James Harden. And I think like a team like the Clippers is waiting to see how this all shakes out. So I'm really curious to see not only where does Dame go, but if a third team gets involved and all the pieces involved in that. Ooh, oh, you're looking into your crystal ball, and I like it. This is important because we are only seven days away from media day. That means hearing from James Harden. That means hearing from Damian Lillard, and I know we are all curious what they have to say directly. All right, coming up on NBA Today, Kobe Bryant, he won five titles during his elusive career, but how could that have impacted the Heatles, his illustrious career? Dwayne Wade, he'll explain it in 60 seconds. This fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Not three, not four, not five, not six. Just a great, great move. Blocked by Boss. Game over. What a play. What an amazing connection. The Miami Heat are once again NBA champions. It's about damn time. Welcome back to NBA Today here alongside Om Young Masuk, Mark Spears, Tim Bontemps. And guys, Dwayne Wade appeared on Tony Parker's Squeak where he revealed how Kobe Bryant winning his fifth ring actually was the first domino to lead to the Heat's big three. I thought this was fascinating. Take a listen.
And I remember so, cutting my TV off as soon as you, when Kobe ran and grabbed that ball. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> LeBron. All right, LeBron. I'm not lying to you. I cut the TV off. When I watched that. And I watched Kobe run and grab the ball and celebrate. I was like, so what you gonna do? That was our summer free agency. Yeah, like, they had just they were dominating. Like yeah. Kobe was winning all these rings. I was like, wait, hold on. Now he got five and we got one. Like no. I mean, I just I just loved that. Mark, was your what was your favorite maybe behind the scenes moment memory from the summer of the decision? Yeah, I was actually at this thing at the old Hard Rock Hotel, St. Jude fundraiser. George Carl was getting an award uh, from the organization for being a supporter and beating cancer. And then it all kind of like fell apart when, not that it, it just got sidetracked because everybody's watching the TV and LeBron was there with his checkered shirt on making a decision. Even George Carl was getting an award, was sidetracked as well. So I always remember where I was when the decision was announced. Tim, you, it's hard to come up with an NBA factoid that you do not know. When you heard Dwayne Wade say that, your reaction was what? Well, I give him, I give him credit for giving Powell his flowers in, in that room with Tony Parker and Dirk Nowitzki as they were celebrating going to the Hall of Fame. But really, the, the tea leaves for this began a couple of years before with the Olympic team in 2008. And you saw the Heat for two years basically set themselves up to go sign at least one, if not two stars in free agency. They up getting Chris Bosh and LeBron James. But to Mark's point, I was just hearing him talk about that summer of 2010. I was, I remember following Amari Stoudemire down the street a few <laughs> blocks away from here after he went to see Rock of Ages to talk to him about coming to the Knicks. He was talking about bringing Tony Parker and Carmelo with them. Just that summer with the number of guys that were available, the amount of guys that changed teams, all the different possibilities that were out there. It was a pretty remarkable thing, and I, we haven't seen anything like it since, and I'm not sure we're going to see anything like it again when you look at the amount of condensed star power we had change teams across the league, let alone that group that formed up in Miami became obviously such a huge part of the league for the next few years. Yeah, I'll never forget New York wondering if LeBron was going to come and what did it mean when LeBron was going to make his announcement at this boys club yeah. and where it was at and all that stuff. But, and I, I respect <laughs> and miss the obsession that Dwayne Wade has because I don't think we have enough players that are obsessed with winning a championship like D-Wade. But what I didn't like was how it changed the history of this game and made it all about super teams. Because look, Kobe won five championships doing it in Los Angeles. He did not have to leave. And so I would have liked seeing guys continue to do that. But I understand D-Wade needed help. I know, but that's so incredibly rare, Ohm. I mean, we've seen Steph do it, sure, but that is just, it's so rare. It's much more common, we've talked about this with Giannis, it brings it all back full circle. It's much more common to see a Dirk spend that long with one franchise and just win one than spend that long with one franchise and win five. That It's just, it's so rare, and... Um, but it did change the fabric of the NBA. You know who else has changed the fabric of the NBA? It is Hubie Brown. So before we bounce, we would like to wish the legend, the Naismith Hall of Famer, Hubie Brown, a very, very happy 90th wow. birthday. It is his 20th season with ESPN. He is still calling games. Every time I have the privilege of being on a broadcast with him, it is like knowledge gem after knowledge gem. I don't think I ever 
never learn more, Ohm, than when I am sitting in the car driving to an arena with Hubie. Yeah, he is an absolute national treasure. And the statistics he constantly spits out of his mouth is amazing. He always is able to put the statistics so perfectly with his thoughts. I said Tim Bontemps is a human encyclopedia of the NBA. Well, Hubie Brown really is a human encyclopedia of the NBA. Happy birthday once again to Hubie. That is going to do it for us here on NBA Today. We will see you tomorrow.